Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn to the, to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. I want to share with you this morning, uh, the, 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 the text is going from chapter 2, verses 5 through 16, but I'm only going to read verses 12 through 16. Purpose of this letter... Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, and it was a it was a thank you letter. The the, the church had helped Paul out uh, spiritually, materially, physically, and he had a, he had a special affinity for this church. As he was writing this church, he was in jail, and Paul was was kind of what you would call a a, a homebound prisoner. They didn't have the ankle bracelets or things like that in his days. But some prisoners, if they could afford it on their own, they were allowed basically to live out in town. And they had, they had guards with them, of course. But the thing was they had to be able to provide for themselves to stay out there. And Paul had a, had a group of believers that were helping him do that. And one of those was the church at Philippi. And he's writing this letter right now. As a, as a thank you letter to them. But he's got a few things that he wants to touch on, and, and, and specifically the, in this passage we're reading, he, he's touching on the fact that even though he's not with them, and he may never be with them again because he's in jail, he, he's encouraging them and telling them, you, can, you need to work out your own salvation. You can still mature. You can still grow in your faith in the Lord to become the kind of people God wants you to be, even though I am not with you. And so we pick up in, in verse 12 of chapter 2. And if you're physically able, out of reverence to God's Word, if you'd stand, please. And this is, again, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, but through the Holy Spirit, writing to the church here at Victory this morning. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. I believe some verses have uh, murmuring in there. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run or labored in vain. In other words, he's saying there at the end, he's wanting them to hold fast. He's wanting them to finish the race so that when we all get to heaven, you know, he's, he'll be able to look at, 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 at the folks he led to Christ and realize he hadn't taught, he hadn't preached, he hadn't poured his heart out in prayer in vain because they didn't obey or they didn't listen to what he taught. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing, but most especially the doing of his word. You may be seated. As I was saying, Paul, uh, Paul was, was, had been teaching them how to walk in a way pleasing to the Lord. And, and now he's encouraging them to continue on in that obedience uh, to work out their salvation, as we read here, in his absence. Now what I want us to realize this morning was Paul wasn't talking about salvation by works. Paul wasn't saying, well, to, to get your salvation or to keep your salvation, you've got to do this, this, and this. But rather what Paul was talking about what was was maturing uh, was maturing in our faith, growing in the Lord. Lots of times when Paul spoke of salvation, he spoke it in three in three senses and three tenses. Amen. I was saved. I was saved by the penalty of sin when I gave my life to Christ. I am being saved from the power of sin. That's working at our salvation. 
being saved from, uh, in other words, the more we grow in Christ, the less Satan and the less, uh, the less the flesh ourselves has influence on us. I was saved from the, from the penalty of sin. Uh, I am being saved from the power of sin. But there's going to come one day when we're all in heaven and we will be saved from the presence of sin. It won't even be in there. And Paul, in a sense, is talking about all this when he's talking about working out our salvation. Well, the question comes for us this morning, how do we work out our salvation? And i got a few things I want to touch on this morning. First of all, to work out our salvation, we need the mind of Christ. If you go back there in, in chapter 2, back to verses 5 through 8, Paul talks about this. He starts out in verse 5, says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 7 and 8, he gives us a couple characteristics of how Christ was. He gives us a couple characteristics of how Christ was. First of all, we read in verse 7 that Christ was humble. That He was humble when He came to this earth. He came, although He could have very easily come as a conquering king, He could have been, uh, even though He was born as a baby, He could have been born in a palace with all the trappings and all the luxuries. He could have been born to the most famous king and queen in the world if He wanted to. But the Bible tells us that He came with no reputation. Instead of coming as royalty, He came as a, as a carpenter's son. He came with no reputation. He came in the form of a bondservant. In other words, He came to serve people as opposed to people serving Him, though He deserved it because He's royalty. Again, He could have come as a king in a palace, but He came as a carpenter's son. The Bible, I'm sorry, not the Bible, but one of the great old hymns. Well, and the Bible does too. I'm sorry. One of the great old hymns says that when he was in the, in the middle of, of the torture, of the crucifixion, he very easily could have called 10,000 angels to come and rescue him, to take him out of it. But, but he was humble. He, he had a servant's heart. He, the greatest service he did for us was going to the cross to die to pay for our sins. So we see that he was humble. We also see, well, let me back up here just for a second. Talking about humility, you could not be the kind of Christian that Paul was speaking of and not be humble. And you know, humility is one of those, I've said it before, it's one of those tough gifts or tough blessings because the minute you realize you've got it, you've lost it. You know, the minute we think, man, I'm humble, guess what? We've lost it. You know. But you couldn't be the kind of Christian Paul was talking about and not be humble. Paul himself had at one time told a bunch of Jewish believers that if anybody had reason to boast, it was him. He talked about being a Hebrew of the Hebrew and about how he knew the law and you could trace his family lineage back and that even when he was lost and he was just religious, he was doing it with all the zeal that he had because he felt like he was doing it for God. And then when he came, after he came to know Christ on that road to Damascus, you know, he even throws that in there. I, could, I, I met him personally. I can brag about that. And then he talks about the whippings, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the stonings, the imprisonment. He said, if anybody could boast about who they are for Christ or who they are for God, I, I could do it. But yet in other places we read Paul, uh, Paul writing, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. To have the mind of Christ, we need to be humble. 
to have the mind of Christ, we also need to be obedient. In verse 8, he found, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible tells us that Jesus prayed, Lord, if you would, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was obedient. He knew what was coming. And, and folks, do you hear me say this every Easter? Oops. You hear me say this every Easter? He was not dreading, if you will, the crucifixion. He was not agonizing over the fact that he was having that he was preparing to go to the cross. He was agonizing over the fact that for the first and the only time in eternity, as he hung on that cross, he would be out of fellowship with his father. The Bible tells us that as he hung on that cross, he took the sin of the world on him. And the Bible tells us that God, a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, cannot look upon sin. And the Bible tells us that from the sixth to the ninth hour, the darkness fell on the face of the earth. That's because for the only time in history, God turned His back on His Son and the Scripture even verifies it in the passage where Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But He was obedient to the point of death. Folks, are we, you know, we say lots of times we'd be willing to take a bullet for our family. We'd be willing to take a bullet for our kids. We'd be willing to take a bullet for our friends. But you know what? Jesus did it for people that still rejected him. People did it not only, Jesus did it not only for the people that were alive then, but for the people that had, were alive and died before him, and for the people that were going to come after the crucifixion and the resurrection. There's an old southern gospel song that, that goes, while he was on the cross, I was on his mind. It says that he looked through time and, and he saw my sin. He saw my shame. He, he saw the judgment that I was due. And folks, not just me, but every, every one of you too. He knew everything we were going to do. He knew every bad thing we were going to do. Every sin we were going to commit. But he was still willing to go to the cross to take our punishment because the Bible tells us the wages of sin are death. In this case, death means not just a physical death, but separate, a death where we're separated from God for all eternity in a real place called hell. But he was obedient to the point of death. To know the mind of Christ, we need to be humble. We need to, know, we need to be obedient. And a lot of Christians don't know the mind of Christ because we've never been obedient to things like this. We've never been obedient to humility. We've never been obedient, if you will, to obedience. We've never been obedient to the things that we know in this book that we should be doing. Or we've never been obedient to this book in doing the things that we know we shouldn't be doing. But one way for us, to have the, for us to have the mind of Christ, we need to be humble. We need to be obedient. Now, to, to, to develop the mind of Christ, to do those things that I was talking about, to, to not do the bad things and to do and to do the good things, it takes four things. Number one, prayer. And I want us to remember here that when I'm talking about prayer, I'm not talking about us giving our laundry list or our wish list to God and saying, God bless this one, God bless that one, God heal this one, God help this one with their mortgage payment, God help this one because their, 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 their marriage is in trouble. Those, those are good things and things we should be praying of, praying about. 
What I'm talking of is, is time alone with God where our mouths are shut and we're saying, speak to my heart, Lord. We were talking in, in prayer meeting Wednesday night about Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. You know, search my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me. We, we need times of prayer like that, especially the church in the 21st century, because you know what the problem with us is in the church today is we don't realize how far we have turned from the standard that God has set for us. We think that just because we say a prayer, because we walk an aisle, because we get dunked, because we have our name on a membership card, or because we come to church every once in a while, that must mean we're saved, that must mean we're right with God, and that's all we need to do. Folks, that is not what salvation is all about. Salvation is about making a clean turn from your sin and turn, and turn to Christ and allowing Him to transform you and to conform you more into His image. So that it, it, hopefully today I'm more like Jesus than I was yesterday. And if He gives me tomorrow, hopefully I'll be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And I qualify this so many times because I, because I think sometimes that scares people. It doesn't always happen like that. For some folks, you, they can drop the cigarettes, they can drop the, 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 the girls, the men, the booze, the drugs, whatever. They can drop it all like that. But for others, it's, it's kind of a steady, gradual process. I know folks that have gotten saved that the minute they got... And I'm not saying smoking cigarettes is sin, okay? But what I am saying is it can send you to heaven a whole lot sooner than God probably wanted you going. You know? But I've seen folks, when they give their life to Christ, they drop the cigarettes right then. But I've seen other folks where it was kind of a steady process. I've seen folks where the minute they come to Christ, man, all of a sudden they're like a, a dry sponge just waiting to sop everything up. But for others, it's a more gradual process as they learn more of the truth of God's Word and, 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 and they, hey, this makes sense. What Jesus says makes sense. I'm going I'm to apply that to my life now and I'm going to live that out. It's a more gradual process. Transformation, conforming is a continual process. So don't think, hey, if I, if, if, if I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden everything's going to change. In a sense, yes, everything will change, but you're not, you're not given all the answers. You're not given all the answers no matter how long you're a Christian. Some things God keeps for Himself. But what that means is there's going to be a, there's going to be a change. And I guess the question to ask this morning is for, for those of us that claim to know Christ, where is the change? I'm not talking about us just living, as living a more moral life than what we used to. I'm talking about where's the change in where Jesus Christ has transformed us and, and is transforming us. To develop the mind of Christ, it takes prayer. Secondly, it takes Bible study. Whether it be personal time at home, whether it be Bible study in a class, whether it be Sunday school, and I'm going to take this time to plug Sunday school. If you're not in Sunday school, shame on you. I'll just be that blunt. Most of you guys have heard me say before that if you have to choose between whether coming to worship service, and I appreciate the fact you guys love me and, and you want to come see me and hear me preach. I appreciate that. That was a joke and it wasn't a very good one. But if you have to choose between worship service and Sunday school, I'll tell you every day to take Sunday school. Because Sunday school is where you get in depth. Sunday school is where you can ask questions. Sunday school is where you can discuss. But also, Sunday school is where you build relationships up. 
We've got folks in our church family right now that tell me, so I, I hear every once in a while, man, I don't, I don't have any Christian friends. Well, do you, do you come to Sunday school? Do, do you make the effort to, to build relationships with the folks that are in church that you do know? And if the answer is no, I, they say, well, no. I'm like, well, this is what you need to be doing. And if you don't want to do it, I've, I've got nothing else to tell you. We become like the people we hang out with. And I'm not saying we give up all of our lost friends, but we need to be building those Christian relationships. Because we can learn from each other. As we each study the Scripture, though all Scripture is true, God, God sometimes speaks on certain points to some people as opposed to one. You know, he might be speaking to me about, you know, about needing to be, needing to be more obedient and he may be speaking to somebody else in this passage about being humble. It's true we need to be obedient and we need to be humble, but maybe there's something going on in my life where I, I, need, I need to get right before God and say, I've been too proud, I've been too haughty, whereas somebody else might be thinking, man, I've been messing up every time I, I turn around. God's been telling me to do this, this, or this, and I've not, I've not been obedient to it. So we learn from each other just as much as we learn from our Sunday school teacher. Prayer, Bible study, worship, hearing and preaching, hearing the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. And I might add this morning that you have not worshipped if you have not changed. If you walk out of this service the same person you were when you came in, you've not worshipped. Because I can show you time and time and time again in the Bible that when people came into the presence of God, and we just sang that, didn't we? The presence of the Lord is here. I can show you examples time and time again in the Bible of how when people encountered God, they left changed. Moses is the most obvious one. It was a physical one. They said whenever Moses left the mountain after speaking with God, his face shone so much with the Shekinah glory of God that it scared the people and he had to wear a veil until that shine, until that brightness, if you will, wore off. So if you come in here today and you leave the same as you were before, you've not worshipped. And here's another hint. It isn't Rachel's fault. Right. It's not the choir's fault. Right. It's not even my fault. Amen. Though I'm the man giving the word, it's your fault because your heart was not open to what God had to say. Amen. I have been under some of the most not exciting preachers in the world where I had to, I had to literally take notes. Which, how many folks are taking notes today? How many folks got their Bible open today? You know, I, I have sat under some of the most unexciting pastors where I had to take notes to stay awake. But when I got home and I looked over those notes, reviewed those notes, I found out that I'd learned some stuff. Some things that I can, as they like to say, put in my toolbox to help me conform more to the image of Jesus. Prayer, Bible study, worship, and here's the most important thing to have the mind of Christ. Putting into practice what we know. Putting into practice the things that we do know. You know, James, James in the book of James is pretty simple. Uh, he, he makes it pretty simple about how to obey God. First thing, he, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, he tells us not to talk as much and to listen more. 
You know, that, that's a pretty simple one. I mean, it's, it's hard, but it's, it's a pretty simple one. We put into practice what we know, and as we put into practice what we know, God gives us more. What good does it do us to put things into practice and then not use it? For example, what good does it do a baseball player to spend hour after hour after hour learning how to hit a curveball and then either he never faces a curveball pitcher in a game or worse than that, okay, yep, I've learned to hit the, hit the curveball, I'm going to quit now. He's learned a bunch of stuff, but he's not put himself in a situation where he, where he, can, he can use it. And the same thing, folks, is true of so many of us as Christians today. We come to Sunday school, we come to church, we worship, we learn, but it's like we cordon it off, we compartmentalize it. I learned this stuff here, and that's good for my Christian life, but it, does, it just doesn't cut it when it comes to my secular life, my work life, my play life, my friend life. When God's Word tells us that if we're saved, it applies to every aspect of our lives. We need to have the mind of Christ. Secondly, we need to allow God to work in us. Verse 13, we read for it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. We need to realize that whenever we do anything good as Christians, that it's not us that does it. It's, it's not us that does it. It's God's Holy Spirit. Okay? Here's the clincher though. Some of y'all might remember that old Flip Wilson, Geraldine Jones act where he'd always go, the devil made me do it. Guess what? The devil can't make us do anything we don't want to do. When we do the good that we should do, it's God's Holy Spirit working through us. But when we do the bad things that we shouldn't be doing, guess what? That's the flesh in us working. That's the flesh in us working. We need to allow God to work in our lives. We need to allow God to use us. We need to realize that His will, His will, I don't know if I got this grammatically right, so y'all bear with me. His will is the desires, or his will are the his will is the desires that he puts in our hearts. Okay? Not the ideas that we come up with on our own, even though they might be good ideas. But when he puts his will in us, he gives us the capacity, because of our free will, to either be obedient or to be disobedient. Some of us know the will of God, but we don't want to do it. He gives us that right because of free will. But we've but we got to be willing to face the consequences that come along with it. He gives us the capacity to do it, so we've got the choice to either accept it, either to disobey it, or to accept it and embrace it. And when we accept it and embrace it and are obedient to His will, then He gives us the capacity to do it. You might be sitting here, man, I, Pastor, I believe the Lord's leading me to, to teach a Sunday school class, but I'm not a teacher. I've never taught in my life. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's what God's called you to do, guess what? He'll give you the, the, the capacity to do it. Dear friend of mine down, down in South Carolina, Miles Road, some of y'all might remember him, Keith Wilson, the, the, the music minister down there. He started college, wanting to, if I remember correctly, wanting to be a, a youth pastor. Halfway through his first semester, he always sang, got a gorgeous voice, but halfway through his first semester in college, he said he felt the Lord called him to go into music ministry. And he's like, wait a minute, Lord, I can't even sight read. You know, I can't play any instruments, I, I can't read music. How can I be a music minister? But he was obedient to what 
He felt God calling him, and God used the college to teach him what God wanted him to know. And he's been the music minister at Miles Road now for some for 20 some years. When God lays it on our heart, He gives us the capacity to do it. God's not going to God's not going to take us and set us out on the limb of a tree and then leave us with a saw to cut ourselves off. He's going to if He if He calls us, He's going to equip us. And Paul's telling the folks here that though that though He was there to teach them at one time, to lead them, to guide them, that they were capable of continuing on in the faith, of growing in the faith, as long as they allowed God to have His way in their lives. Paul's saying, I don't need to be there to walk you, to take you by the hand and to walk you through it. You guys can do it on your own if you allow God to work, work through you. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. God puts the will in us. God puts the do in us. question for us this morning is who, we're supposed to allow God to work in us, but who controls our lives this morning? Is it us? Is it our spouse? Is it our children? Is it our hobbies? Is it the man, our boss, the guys we work for? Or do we allow God to control our lives? Does it take being in the presence? Here's a, this came to my mind as I was doing this message. Does it take the presence of another Christian, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, or a pastor for you to do and say the things pleasing to God? If so, then you're not allowing God to do His will in your life. You're being something, you're acting in a way that's contrary to your nature. You don't know how many times, I see people all the time, when they see me coming, all of a sudden they change. I can be going, I don't know how many times I've gone to do hospital visits and I've been down the hallway and people don't hear me coming. I can hear the cussing, I can hear the fussing, and I can hear all this stuff. But the minute I turn the corner or the minute I walk into the room, oh, Pastor, God bless you today. Yeah, we've just been sitting here praying with Dad, or, you know, we've been talking about how good God is, and, and we just know God's going to see Him through this, you know, and I want to grab Him by the neck and share Jesus with Him, you know. But if it takes a Christian to get you to act like a Christian, certainly God's Holy Spirit isn't controlling your life. There's a Greek word for that. It's called hypocrite. We need to have the mind of Christ. We need to allow God to work in us. Thirdly, we need to live a life that's pleasing to God. He talks in uh, verse 14 about doing things without complaining and disputing. How many of us that claim the name of Jesus Christ complain and dispute? Whatever the wife does, whatever the husband does, it isn't good enough. Whatever the kids do isn't good enough. The wife squeezes the toothpaste from the middle. The husband leaves the toilet seat up. But let's start getting more, more, more closer, closer to the subject. I don't like the way they're doing things. We, we should be doing things in the church this way. But yet the person that thinks they should be doing things in the church this way never does anything to help out in the church. Well, I think the choir should be doing this. Well, why aren't you in the choir helping Rachel? Or well, the choir was off key today. Well, who are you to complain if you're sitting back? Yeah, I don't like, I don't like the way the Sunday school teachers teach, so I don't, I don't come to Sunday school. I don't like their methods. Well, do something about it. Volunteer yourself to be a Sunday school teacher. 
Volunteer yourself to, 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 to be in a leadership position at the church and serve. And you know, it, it, it's, it's, to me, experientially at least, the ones that complain the most are the ones that do the least. And this kind of dovetails in what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning about people who cause dissent in the church among the brethren because that's all, that's all that's going on if you don't like the way something is but you're still mumbling and muttering about it. It's doing nothing more than causing dissent in the church. Yes, maybe somebody did sing off key. Yeah, maybe the preacher did drag the message out a little bit longer than, 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 than he should have. Anybody that wants to come up and sing or wants to come preach the invitation's here anybody that wants to serve the invitation's here but how many folks that claim the name of Jesus Christ complain and dispute I had a lady at my last church her and I butted heads I mean we were, she was the treasurer she was the type of treasurer that it didn't matter if the church voted on it she wouldn't write the check. At least she wouldn't write the check until she was dad burned good and ready. But she came up to me. We, we had some intense fellowship about that and, and some other things because she had said a couple of things about my wife and, and her and, and, and another deacon and myself were meeting one day and she said she just got tired of coming to church and, and there being hate and discontent in the church. And she says, I go to work and there's hate and discontent and dissension at work. I go home and there's hate and discontent and dissension at my home. I come to church and there's hate and there's discontent and my dissension in the church. And I stopped her right there. I said, wait a minute. What's the common denominator in all of this? You know. I love everybody here. I wish everybody served. But you know what? The invitation is always open. If you don't like the way we're doing things now, there are plenty of other churches out there that may be doing things the way you want them to be done. And you know what? It'll help you because you won't be complaining and dissenting so much. But you know what? The folks that have the mindset to do that, they'll move on to the next church and they'll start doing the same thing sooner or later. Do we have a spirit that's complaining and disputing all the time? Do we, can't even put my glasses on right. Do we have a proper attitude towards God or do we complain about where He has us, about what He has done or what He hasn't done in our lives? Well, God, I started seminary at the same time as this other pastor and, and he planted a church and I went into a well-established church and look at all the folks he's got and look at what you gave me. You know, or I've been working just as hard as my, at my job as, as this guy has, but, but he's got all the promotions. You know, he's getting all the raises, and look at me. Or so-and-so's kids are, are perfect, and my kids are just a, a headache and a heartache every time I turn around. You know. Well, you've given them a man, a brand new Cadillac, Escalade, Yukon, whatever you want to call it, and, and, and Lord, you've, you've stuck me with this Conestoga wagon. You know. Do we complain about where God has us? We can't live a life pleasing to God if we don't have a proper attitude if we're complaining and disputing. And we can't have a proper attitude towards God or live a life pleasing to God if our light isn't shining the way it should. Is our light shining this morning if you're here as a Christian? Paul Hodgson talks about in verse 12, uh, I'm sorry, in, in verse 15, the 
you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He didn't say among whom you should shine. He said, among whom you shine as lights. And folks, he wasn't talking here. The reason I emphasize that is he wasn't talking here about whether or not we were shining. But he was speaking about how bright our light was shining. Our lights as Christians are always shining. But the question is whether our light's covered, whether our light has a dim glow, or whether our light is the way the meaning here was, luminaries, great lights like the sun, the moon, and the stars. Is that how our light is shining today? Because that's the only way we can live a life pleasing to God. And then finally, quickly, we need to mind of Christ. We need to allow God to work in us. We need to live a life pleasing to God. Finally, we need to hold fast to the Word of life. And you know what? This is the only way we can do the other three things. The only way we can have the mind of Christ, the only way we can allow God to work in us, the only way we can live a life pleasing to God is to hold fast to the Word of life. Hold fast meaning obey. Hold fast meaning study. Hold fast meaning pray about it. Hold fast meaning committing to doing it. And then Paul talks about in that same verse, hold fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Have the people who have poured their lives into you done so in vain? Have your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, whoever poured into you, sometimes your sons and daughters, have your Sunday school teachers, your pastors, your vacation Bible school teachers, those folks, you're a mentor, somebody more mature in the Lord than you. Have they poured their lives into you? Have they poured their lives into us in vain because we're not holding to the word of life that they have taught us and hopefully they have modeled for us? Do we live out, do you live out what these folks have taught you? Does God's Word and Christ's example set the tone for your life or do you act one way Sunday and another way the rest of the week? And folks, to be quite honest, that's one of the main reasons people don't want anything to do with Christianity today. They see people that claim God's Word, people that might even invite them to, man, you need to come to our church. They'll say that, but in the next minute they're, they're telling that dirty joke at the water fountain. Or, or they're spreading that gossip with somebody else. You know, or they're, you know, we were kind of, kind of joking, but it was true in Sunday school. We say something, something bad about somebody jokingly, and then we add, bless their heart on the end of it. You know? Do we live one way on Sunday and live another way the other days of the week? And if we do, then how can we wonder why the world doesn't want to do what we're asking them to do? Why would they want to, 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 to worship a God that obviously is a hypocrite because we're being hypocritical? Why would they want to worship a God that there doesn't seem to be any, there doesn't seem to be any obedience to or there doesn't seem to be any, any desire or, or, or pulling to, to, to dedicate more of their life to Him or to follow Him more closely because if they don't want to do it, 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 it there must not be anything great about Him. How can we expect the world to, to want to know the Christ that we know when we as Christians act just as bad as the folks that don't want anything to do with Jesus? 
And folks, the sad fact is that's the way it is in most of the world and that's the way it is in the life of most Christians today. Statistics bear out that there is statistically no difference between the decisions and the lifestyle that Christians live and the decisions they make than the lifestyle and the decisions that people that are lost make. What's that tell us? tells me we need to get serious about what we say we believe. We need to get serious about living it out, not just in Sunday, on Sunday. Yeah. God bless you, brother. How you doing? Good to see you here today. And I see him out at Shoppers and I just... You know, right on by like I don't know him. How are we working out our salvation? How are we working out our salvation? Are we becoming more conformed to the image of Christ? Or are we just living lives the way we want to? Because folks, if we're living lives just the way we want to, guess what? I'm going to be blunt with another thing. Don't waste your time coming here. And I'm not saying that because of me. I'm saying that because of you. Because if you don't want to live out what you say you believe, what's the sense in coming and wasting an hour, wasting two hours, when you could be out golfing or fishing or, or staying in bed? You know, if, if, you, if we don't come to church, if we don't come into worship times with the expectation, I'm going to meet God here, He's going to change my life, and I'm going to leave those doors ready to bomb the gates of hell with a squirt pistol. I'm ready to go out of here changed different than what I was when I came in. I'm going to go out of here ready to show somebody the love of Jesus Christ, whether they spit in my face or whether they say thank you. Folks, how are we working out our salvation this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please.